my back is really sore, so I'm not at my standing location, but my microphone is right there, so it should be picking up okay. I'll stand for you. I'll stand for you because I'm not sitting. I'll stand I, for you. I appreciate it. I'll sit for na, you. Na, 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 na. Maybe that's the song. I, I was just giving myself a weird assignment because I don't have fuck tons of things already on the list to do. I was like, what I should do, since I haven't finished a bunch of stuff, I should just learn all of the parts to a song, like the guitar and the drums and the bass, and then learn it and then video that and then make it a thing. Because life isn't hard enough. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to make life interesting by doing something that's completely pointless. <laughs> well, it's stretching me out of uh, comfort zones. It's like trying yeah. new stuff. Like, yeah. I'm not Remy Shan or fucking Prince. That's not like, who else? Kevin Gilbert? Just like, I'm going to play all the parts because I'm a fucking genius. Yeah. I, I'm a big um, Ben Folds fan. Yeah. Yeah. And he does uh, uh, a lot of the stuff himself. Just like something that I dig, but isn't like easy, isn't hard. I, also, for some reason, I was thinking maybe um, what came on last time. Uh, Michael McDonald came on the gig in the car and I'm like, oh, this is complicated. Sure. <laughs> so did you pick a song you're going to do this with? Not yet. No, no. Well, the first one I thought of was, um, God, I always think of like wanting to learn at least the bass lines from albums that I've loved a really long time. And I was walking out and uh, listening to Tori Amos, which is not, there are people who are like, Tori Amos is my person. When I was in high school, it was like Tori Amos. There were those people. And then we're like Ani DeFranco people. And I was like, I've heard them. They're okay. Like I couldn't sing. It wasn't enjoyable to sing either of them. Mm, but yeah, I get that. I think it's Little Earthquakes and um, The Precious Things. Oh, that's where the idea stirred. I'm like, I would love to just have all of this music somehow in my body. That mm. it was like, uh, even just to explore the drums, the like syncopated toms that none of the drummers I got to play with had as a natural inclination, sadly. I'm like, no, but toms, it's hips and sex, please. Uh, like snares, like a cock slap. <laughs> Hi hats, like nipple flicks, you know, but like hips of the, the like, oh, uh, yeah. Right. But not like I would say things like that to drummers and um, they were amused, but they didn't translate into something useful mm. somehow. Yeah. Anyway, I just was like, this song, what if this song was in my body and I could do all of the bits that would be useful. I have a musical related question for you. Sure. Is it uh, I, I, like, I don't fucking know what we do in this show anymore. So, <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, is this, uh, is this appropriate? Sure. So, uh, Faye and I, Faye, Faye's been pastoring me for a while. She really wants to sing some duets. Oh, sweet. And um, trying to find some really good boy-girl harmony mm. songs. Like, when I think harmony, then I'm like, super fun harmony to sing with two people. Simon and Garfunkel is the first okay. one that comes to my mind. So I dig that kind of thing. All the rest of the boy-girl uh, harmony songs that I know are like uh, they're either musical theater or they're in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> they're um, musical theater or they're like 
Celine Dion and uh, insert anybody. And it's a Disney movie. Yeah. So go check out. um, Okay. This might not be a great, like you're not in this place right now, but uh, country music has amazing male and female duets that aren't dumb and cheesy. Okay. For instance, Bad Goodbye is one of the most gorgeous haunting there's a whiskey lullaby is also quite haunting i don't know either of your vocal ranges but there's a lot in country music that you can try and feel it out but um yeah bad goodbye is it amazing it's winona judd and clint black okay bad goodbye i this Uh, is not a place i would have searched also, but, Reba uh, McIntyre did a bunch of different duets back in the day with a bunch of people, but I don't know if she's got the like range for that. Yeah, <laughs> Winona's is easily. I know she's got a very, um, you know, Pomplamous. Oh, Pomplam. Oh, okay. You know, but, like I know that that is a word that is the name of a sparkly water. Wow. And probably a band and probably I've heard it at karaoke, but didn't quite squish it together into something. Wow. Yeah. you got to check them out. They're pretty- I don't know what the kids are playing these days. Yeah. I don't know if it's a kid's thing so much. Anyway, she sounds a lot like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll what go I- check it out. Um, it's got a little bit of a Snow White vibe. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, very- like singing to the birds in the call. <laughs> yeah. Very Look, okay. Yeah. Have her check out some Reba McIntyre uh, mm-hmm. duets then. Yeah. I know. I, I think she could maybe belt it out. Yeah. Where's your range? Well, I used to be a tenor. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to have a B flat on the top. Um, I mean, no, like full voice, not, not falsetto. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's hard now. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I've still got an A maybe on the top um, that I can hit like full. But like I was singing some Andre Bocelli in the car. And when I hit one of the notes, like it cracked like three times as I was trying to hold the highest, the the, the climax of the song. And I was just like, <sighs> like it's, it's hard when you know what you used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. This about- is... Right. Yeah, this is that time of the year. And I don't know if we said it, but this is the time of the year, August through like November, where my voice. I I wake up feeling like a like smoked a pack of cigarettes or like coughed my entire evening. Like this is the time of year when I'm most inspired to do musical things and sing. And then my lungs are challenged and it's like scratchy throat. And I'm like, ah, so frustrating. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I figured out. So, uh, right, uh, but my <laughs> low register has opened up a lot in recent nice. years. Like, like yeah. I have a much deeper voice than I used to, and I can resonate that uh, the low notes a lot better. Um, so, so George yeah. Strait. What? There's probably some George Strait duets out there then. Mm, okay, that may be interesting. See, this is this is great because this is all stuff that I'm like, nope, nope, never would never have thought of it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. There's also. Uh, maybe Indigo Girls songs could be interesting. The Amy sometimes sings in a tenor range. I don't mind uh, gender swapping. Like I thought right. I, like one of the things I was thinking is like it'd be fun to do some Simon and Garfunkel with the two of us. Like mm-hmm. that can be super good. 
So I don't mind that at all. If there's some girl girl duets that we could figure out a way to uh, do it. That would work. I just dig that they do a lot of like alternate melodies together. That's what I, I'm looking for. Is, you know, honestly, one of the things we talked about is just like going back and singing some hymns as much as I don't really resonate or the way that I sing hymns now is I have to retranslate all the words. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's some hymns that I'm like, well, if this means this and this means this, then okay, I like this song. This sure. is actually really beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah oh my god. Do some of that. So, simple harmonies where you have to like maintain, like as you're going through, and um, I love that. It feels so good when you're mm-hmm. singing with somebody and your voice is really mesh, and they get into that. Oh, it's just such a good feeling. You might have fun then. Uh, going down the rabbit hole of some traditional rounds. Yeah. Songs that are sung in round, because then you have the cross part harmony that happens because you're, I think we're both really into like, like, uh, um, what's it? Uh, Scarborough fair, right? Like songs that have that kind of old timey feel. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing would be really fun. It's an like, Irish ditties, you know? Yeah. How would I, how would I even... Like a drinking song. Right. Get your, get your, get your you cockles know, going. She actually <laughs> knows a lot of sea shanties because she's a sailor. She used to be on yeah. like tall ships. Like, well, go go shanty the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. That could be fun too. Okay. <laughs> you want to cut this part? <laughs> oh my God. So, hey, welcome, 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 welcome to the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. Where we talk about whatever the fuck we want to. And sometimes yeah. movies and yeah, television. Movies and television and stories and how these things are powerful transformational tools. Absolutely. I lo- love that since it's been so long, there's a fuck ton of things we both watched. It reminds me of like how I went back and watched all of season, all the seasons of Arrow because season eight was coming and how transformational that was. But we didn't have our show going yet. And I was just like, I want to talk about it. So I know you're excited about some stuff. Well, let me just get a couple things off real quick. We, um, we just finished re I rewatched, uh, and she watched for the first time the season of boys. Do you know, or the boys? Yeah. I should uh, probably rewatch that on Amazon because the second season's coming out Yeah, and, uh, really enjoyed it. Did you, you, so you liked it. That's it took a minute. It took a minute. Yeah. Uh, It was really spiky <laughs> when i watched the this time i was like you know what i imagine a moment in the writer's room when they were like okay listen the rule is every episode has to have at least one moment when the audience goes what yes. the fuck <laughs> and it's like yes. so obvious oh. when you're watching it that that conversation happened at some point. Yes. Yeah. No, it's so. Oh. And I've, I look. I love the superhero shows, and yeah. I had a sense of the. I had a sense of the shade of the color, and yeah. no concept of the uh, contrast yeah. and the depth yeah. of color that was going to fucking happen with the storyline. And I'm just watching, and I'm like. How do I wash my eyeballs? Yeah, Liz How can bailed. I wash the inside. Liz bailed at the airplane scene. 
<laughs> she was like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this. <laughs> For me, the scene when the when the show went to the next level of amazing was the dolphin scene. <laughs> oh my God. That made me go. I can't believe they just did that. This is insane. Yeah. So the uh, the fun news is that if you practice the principles of this is happening for me and not yes. to me. Yes. That we, we talk about. Um, that is also how I got through the first season of Je- Jessica Jones, because that mm. was a little edgy for me. Oh, man, that's and I was just like, it's happening for me. It's happening for me. Um, And then I also at this point in life have strategies for shifting my internal state. And um, certainly you can't unsee or unexperience things, but you can uh, go outside and uh, bounce up and down making noises for a while. Can I mention something about that? This is happening for me, not to me, that I hope doesn't like bring the mood down, but instead leads lends gravitas to that. Sure. Did you ever meet or have you heard about a very dear friend of mine named Sean Stevenson? I've heard about, did not meet him in person. Okay. So Sean Stevenson is a personal development, motivational speaker who was in a wheelchair. He had, um, what is it? Osteogenesis imperfecta, I believe is the term, but it means it's commonly called brittle bone disease. So he was about three feet tall and he had bones break all the time in his life. He'd passed away um, recently and it was pretty sad. Um, I mean, it was very sad. We were pretty broken up about it for a while. Um, A really important person in our life. He introduced Liz and I to each other. Um, And uh, his wife shared that the last thing he said to her before he went into surgery was this didn't happen to me. This happened for me. Mm. He was a profound human being. Yeah. Like he was one of those guys on his 30th birthday. I was there, which his, the doctor said he wouldn't live past 13 on his 30th birthday. He I was going to say stood up. He uh, sat (laughs) in front of a room full of like motivational speakers, personal development gurus. I was there and he said, after 30 years on this planet, I now understand why I am here. Mm. And he said, the reason I am here is to serve as a reframe for all of you. Because if I can go out and find the wife and the woman of my dreams, create a successful business, become a best-selling author, share the stage with Tony Robbins and the Dalai Lama, and I am dealing with all of this, what fucking excuse do you have? And I was like, damn, it takes a lot to make a whole room of people who have dedicated their lives to becoming the best versions of themselves mm-hmm. all go, Pantsed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that principle, this didn't happen to me, this happened for me, mm-hmm. is uh, applicable in many areas of your life. Uh, yeah. And one way that it is valuable is, when you're watching movies and stories that are taking you someplace challenging, mm-hmm. this is happening for me. 
Yeah. So that was one of the things you watched. Yeah. You want to go back and forth or you want me well, to Well, so going? I was just like, one of the things in the same mode of like, this is happening for me, we've also talked about our, so you've talked a, a bit about how um, sometimes people's judgment of something or their resistance to something is getting in the way. And then I've said, well, sometimes your resistance to something is the path and is the learning and like pay attention to, Hey, resistance is happening. There must be something here that there's Mm -hmm. this like tension point brushing up and I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So in my recent two weeks, some of the things I wanted to talk about. Did you uh, go back and watch Fleabag finally? (laughs) (laughs) Neither of us have done that yet. No, cause no, uh, no. So I started watching Umbrella Academy. I've heard good things, especially the second season. People are like, holy crap. So I noticed I just kept complaining about um, Ellen Page's shirts uh, for a while. And the fact that she had uh, like no facial expressions. And I just kept like finding that hilarious with me and then letting it go and letting it go. And then uh, there was also it turns out somehow magically in tech world. I started the Umbrella Academy maybe years ago and then gave up or got distracted or something. So when I was like, I'm going to watch it, it started me at the top of episode two, but I didn't watch all of episode one. I must have watched like a minute and a half. But so I'm watching this show that everybody's like, whoa, this is great. I was excited about. Um, Did you not realize it was episode two? No, it was just like a weird like. Slow Why burn. Don't I know anything about any of these characters yet. The stuff's happening, and I'm like, this is an interesting way to just drop, you know, okay. Um, sure. And I get into like 10 minutes and I pause it every couple of 10 minutes or so because I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna get up and stretch. Oh, I need some water. Like I just didn't drop in. And I didn't realize till I was 10 minutes into the th- episode, apparently episode three, where I was like, Oh, I haven't seen the fucking first episode. That's supposed to set me in a frame of knowing what the fuck is happening. Like yes. I'm like getting some of it. So, so I go back the next day and I watch episode one. I'm like, ah, yeah, I, this is pretty great. Um, and still, I think I was reporting on Facebook. I was like, okay, I'm in the middle of episode five, and if I'm playing the best like drinking game for sober people, it's like. I'm going to drink the moment that Ellen Page shows an emotion on her face. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm finally in the middle of episode five and I've tracked a whole lot of motion. Okay. Someone drink on my behalf. But uh, the cool news is that it had to do with the plot. Thank fuck. But the thing that didn't have anything to do with plot and I was more obsessed with was I'd seen I'd seen Ellen Page in um, Tales of the City a couple months ago. Laura Linney was in that. I was like, that's really good. And I think I've seen her in some other stuff. And I was like, so what's the deal with she just she just wears the same shirt and everything she does? Just buttoned all the way up to here, dress shirt, no friend. Just every is it in your contract? What's happening with Ellen Page and the one bland? long sleeve shirt buttoned up. And I know it's like the new lesbian shirt, 
that's fine. But it doesn't make sense to me. I know people sometimes hire an actor to be themselves in a thing, right? Right, right. But, but there's actually but like costume designers. There are costume designers. And I'm like, oh, is it in her contract? I have to wear this gray shirt. It's just, it's a slate and uh, it'll be buttoned up. And I will always have the sleeves like, uh, and the like dude boots. Fine, fine. But there's nothing yet. I've seen both seasons uh, and I'm, I'm fine with this, but there's still nothing in the character, character development or the structure of the story of who this person is and what they've gone through that explains that why she's wearing yeah. that shirt over and over again, ever. Like I, I just know too much about storytelling yeah. to be like, this doesn't make any sense. It does take you out of it. <laughs> and yeah. So then what I did was I'm like, huh, it might seem like I'm having Ellen Page hate. Well, maybe I should watch her and some other stuff. So then I went and I watched uh, last night. I watched Whip It, which apparently I've seen before the roller derby movie. Yeah. She's awesome in that. Uh, and then I today just just now finished My Days of Mercy, which is this amazing indie flick love story. Same shirt, but it works in this one. Uh, so, yeah, it's fucking gorgeous and super sad. I love sad movies. So what was the much. name of this one? My Days of Mercy. Yeah, never even heard of it. So uh, Ellen Page and Kate. Mara are in it and uh, they are two people who are on the opposite sides of the protests of um, capital punishment. That's where they meet. Interesting. Yeah. Ah, It was so good. So there was like emotions and acting and things happening. So it turns out that these are choices. Now the, the, the character she's playing in umbrella Academy, I, I can really imagine like I'm going back in time going like, just say to the costume designers, no, you can't do your job because I'm just going to wear these shirts. I have an endorsement deal or it's in my contract. I'm just going to wear this. And I don't know. I know it doesn't make any sense, but I'm just going to wear this. But like if somebody hands me the characters, like we really need you to play this. And the character description is this person is unremarkable. I probably would have made some of the same choices with mm. my face. Ah, No, I can't possibly wait. I'm going to try it. It's hard to be a blank canvas. Well, I'm fucking expressive, but yeah, like ask Keanu Reeves, like people are like Keanu Reeves is a terrible actor. No, he's not. He's <laughs> really good at doing that one thing, and it's Ugh. actually really hard to do that. Right. I don't know that. One, I don't think people would hire me to play Unremarkable, and that's right. not just me going. I'm just like I have too many squishy face for that. Okay. But also, like, what choices would you have made if you were like your character arc starts with like you're medicated and you've just believed that you're unremarkable compared to all of these like powered siblings, right? Yeah, that I get it. That makes sense. When you first brought her up, I had the thought, do I think Ellen Page is a terrible actress? And I I started going back through my uh rolodex and the movie that i landed on that i was like oh nope have you ever seen a movie called hard candy no okay <sighs> yes yes 
And um, I would appreciate to not talk about it. Okay. My father kept, uh, this is back when like Hollywood video was still around and he kept like, we'd like run a bunch of movies and leave them around for each other or whatever. He kept getting that for me. And I was just like, I just don't feel like, I just intuitively feel like, no, thank you. I just don't want to watch that movie. And I didn't know what it was about. Wow. I just had an energy. And then I watched it. And like I said, that now I have a process for shifting. Like I can't unsee and feel that. Yeah. I didn't then. And so uh, uh, after I watched that, I bought a full uh, drum kit. I just <laughs> left my house and spent $900. Because well, that's a pretty good strategy. I mean, not maybe not the spend nine hundred dollars part, but a drum kit—that's a good I mean, way to it work wasn't, out your aggression. Wasn't like I was. I I think he thought that I would find that like girl power, like empowering. Yeah. Oh no, I don't see it that way. I, I mean, no, I, it's I, fucking it, awful. It's so like there are no good guys in that no. movie. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. I was just remembering her performance in it and being like, oh, shit. No, she is a great actress. No, she is quite good. I'm glad I, like, went somewhere else. Because she sort of plays a similar character in the um, Amistad Moppin, where she's just not very... I think they call her lately to be like, this is someone who's been like yeah. stuffing it down for yeah. a while. Well, like uh, in Juno, I feel like she was very, like the joke was that she was non-responsive to anything. Mm-hmm. And in Inception, she was pretty blank slate. So uh, so she definitely does that character regularly. Yeah. But in a similar way to how I will make the argument that if you want to see Keanu Reeves act, watch The Devil's Advocate. With Al Pacino. Yeah, it's been a while. And yeah. you and fuck, like he gives a performance. He emotes. He has an accent, and it's somewhat believable. Like <laughs> he is good in yeah. that. He's yeah. good, and so that what that tells you is that in the other movies, it's a choice. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it took a while for me yeah. to feel that out because I'm like, cool, cool. She was in that shirt over and over again in this limited series I just watched two months ago. Uh, plus this really dumb hat uh, and didn't quite show emotions. Okay, cool. Now she's in that fucking shirt again and not showing emotions. Uh, but she does uh, end up having emotions in uh, Umbrella Academy and other things. But what was really great was that I sort of followed my like, what if I'm wrong? I love not necessarily being right about stuff. So maybe she's awful. And I went and I just fell in love with this super beautiful, sad love story thing. I just like fell in love with it. It broke my heart. I'm just like, oh God, I can feel things. Oh, I'm not a broken person either. That's one of the reasons why sad is so good. It's like, oh, I feel again. Can I, can I go back to the boys for one second and share an insight that I, I was actually thinking this and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to say it. And then you just gave me a perfect transition to it. So I really enjoyed that whole show. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of great things about it. And I the, the section in the middle about uh, Starlight, the uh, kind of pageanty sort of superhero who had come up in the conservative Christian circles and stuff. Mm-hmm. The section where they go to the the religious 
rallies or whatever, the gatherings. I remember when I first watched it being like, I feel like I get what they're trying to do here and it feels heavy handed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And then when I watched it with Faye, she loved that part of it. And she didn't feel that way at all. Keep in mind, she used to go to those things. (laughs) And she was like, it was, it's crazy how well they did it. And I sort of watched it. I, been to i've been in a lot of church ceremonies and stuff so i i felt like it was definitely played up like it was it was rather obvious what they were trying to do sure. but i had this voice that popped into my head this time watching through where i was like this part isn't meant for you mm. this part is meant for someone who is where you used to be and when I thought about it that way, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a person who is beginning to question. Yeah. And they are, they love superheroes. And so they're watching this and they're, they're, you know, not conservative enough to be willing to watch something violent and that has these different things in it. And then it happens to have this section where a very prominent character speaks almost directly to camera and says a bunch of stuff about, hey, you know, nobody knows. Like, the important point here is not that your religion is wrong. It's more that your certainty about it is problematic. And that is a wonderful message that I don't need to hear. (laughs) And what I used to. And that helped me to get to a place where I was better able to not get judgy or shut down or or close myself to the rest of the show. Yeah. To be able to take a, a show where it has a part in it that doesn't resonate with me and to go, oh, that's just not for you. That part's not for you. And then immediately in the next scene, go up and you can, without any moment of loss, you can jump right back into it because you go, oh, no, this part. Now we're back to the part that's for me. Yeah, that's my other thing that happened for me with uh, Umbrella Academy. One of the I mean, it's the it's the creative arc of starting somewhere with a character. And in in some essence, there's got to be something well, okay, maybe not. De- depending on everyone's choice, there's got to be something compelling about the movie or the TV show to keep you fucking watching it. But the thing I sometimes struggle with, like there's a lot of like, oh, am I going to like it? Am I wasting my time? And then we drop in with these characters that are at some level of adolescence in a per- particular like life arc or an emotional arc. And I'm like, and, and I'm like, okay, so I can have the opportunity to be like, I... I can utilize this to reinforce the changes I've already made. These characters are you know, like, like, oh, cool, cool. You're just, you're just fucking strangers and drinking a lot. And that's how you're coping. I've seen this movie. And I'm like, cool. Where do they start the movie with people who've already figured that shit out? And then they do this yeah. amazing other thing. It's, those aren't the movies that uh, are going to be mass distributed at the moment. Cause that's like, no, we're most when do we, when do we elevate the beginning of the story? So I get a little feisty and grumpified it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be at like, oh, they're there, kitty. In season two, we'll really get to the places because you'll have a journey that does something cool. Shush, shush, driver. 
we're just going to be here. The striving part of me that's like, when do we get into the inner space of universes? And right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think to me, that's one of my arguments that I've made about the matrix trilogy is yeah. that while I admit, I will admit that from a filmmaking perspective, the second and third matrix movies stumble a little bit. They're, they're more experimental. There's some things that don't work quite as well. They don't land as well. The first mm-hmm. movie is, is effectively perfect. It's a masterpiece. But the important point to me is that I think the main reason that the second and third movie didn't resonate with people as much is they are telling the rest of the story. And the first movie is the hero's journey. The whole hero's journey in the Star Wars-y sense of that word. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of the mythology. Like, yeah. if you look at Joseph Campbell and you look at where that um, universal archetypal journey goes, it doesn't end with you blow up the Death Star or whatever. There's there's the return and then there's what do you do afterwards? Yeah. And we as a culture are not very few people are thinking about those stages in the journey in their own life. Yeah. Well, and also, uh, this is a better, I don't know if we've done your like, I've got my neck out of the ship metaphor. There's that, but there's the one that I love that popped into my head is you've got Thor for four or five movies that he's appeared in. And then suddenly he's like, you're, you're the God of thunder. It's not your fucking hammer. Yeah. You don't wield a magic hammer, you dip. I'm yeah. like, exactly. Yeah. Because because that's what happens sometimes yeah. when you're like, I discovered it. It's called hammer. And right. you write a book about it. And you teach it to everyone. I'm like, yeah, but um, there's there's more. It's like, no, but it's so much stronger than everything Shit, that I've ever done. So good. Right? That's a very enlightened couch potato moment right there. To take Thor and to reference the fact that he had to go through four movies before they, before, you know, uh, a genius writer and director was like, this is his next step yeah. in his character. And to know that and then, and to have that be such a universal lesson that's good job. Love that one. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> All uh, right. Okay. You want to go next for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? Okay. Well, very quickly, we finished a show we've been watching for a long time called Penny Dreadful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I adore that show. It is so dark and so bloody and so <laughs> fucked up, but it's handled with such like, art and beauty and um the it's uh, it's like these are the kinds of things that can be very b movie splattery stupid but mm-hmm. when it's handled with that level of care and that level of um i mean really beauty like it's beautiful and, and awful and dark and <laughs> uh they go places that i'm like i can't believe this is in a show at all that mm-hmm. they did this and I love it. There's so many lessons, so many profound character journeys and moments. That was great. Uh, I don't have a lot to dig into on that one. The movies we've been watching. This is where I wanted to talk. 
So we watched uh, The Truman Show, <laughs> which you and I apparently have discussed before. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to say, having watched that movie multiple times and having revisited it now, I am more convinced than ever that that is one of the most profound movies maybe ever made. I love that story. So I wanted to talk about a couple of specific points. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, so one is, uh, I'll start with a weird one. Okay. So there, there's a book by an author named Robert Anton Wilson. Uh, sometimes that people refer to him as Raw, R-A-W. So uh, Robert was a very interesting author who wrote a lot about reality tunnels, Mm -hmm. a lot of NLP kind of stuff before NLP. Uh, The idea that everybody lives in their own reality and in their own Uh, And he talked a lot about conspiracy stuff, but he talked about it in terms of uh, like he said, um, you should uh, you should live as if the world is run by a secret society of all powerful individuals. And those people are you and your friends. Oh, (laughs) Hmm. Um, he. He had so many unique. So he wrote a book called Cosmic Trigger. Okay. And in it, he talks about this phenomena that if you look across cultures and you look uh, across uh, many individual people who are interested in magic and um, manifestation and the unconscious, that a lot of people end up finding a special connection to the star Sirius. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he makes this claim that if you tune in, this is a pretty woo-woo claim, that if you tune in to that star, you can connect to a particular voice or intelligence. And mm-hmm. that people across cultures throughout time describe this in very eerily similar ways Mm -hmm. but he then goes on to say that he is very clear that that doesn't mean that there are aliens in on the in the star system Sirius that you are connecting with he's saying that might be true but it is also possible that for some unknown reason simply pretending that you are connecting with some kind of alien intelligence that's billions of light years away, uh, somehow unlocks some latent something inside of the collective unconscious of all of us and that anybody can do it and it doesn't have to be real in the sense that people think that it needs to be. Yeah, anyway, essentially all the people that I've talked to that talk about aliens and that, that some of us are souls that are descended and have lived in many places talk about Sirius as a place where all of the, uh, it's like a, it's like a radio tower that transmits yeah, yeah. from other places. And that yep. was the like stop off prior to coming to earth yep. for many different planets and aliens. Yes. I've heard this many times. So I'm very agnostic about this, like intentionally, 
However, I find this premise, this idea that when you pretend something is real, sometimes it becomes real to a certain extent. And this idea of the significance of that star connecting and opening up certain possibilities. So at the very beginning of Truman Show, the inciting incident, right? Truman is uh, getting out of his house or whatever, and a light falls from, like a stage light, falls from the ceiling and crashes on the ground. And written on that light is the word serious. (laughs) Spelled like the star. I'd never noticed that before. That's awesome. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) I think some people who were involved in the making of this movie are tuning into some shit. Mm-hmm. And at least that means maybe they read Robert Anton Wilson because a lot of the themes in that movie are the kind of things that he talked about. Awesome. Okay, one other point. Yeah. <laughs> Most movies that have a hero's journey, there is a a point in the journey that is often referred to as the the sacred killing of the father. Sure. Uh, it's the time. It's a point when Obi Wan dies in Star Wars. It's basically the point when the hero has to become his own hero. Like he can't have someone that is that he's that's looking out for him anymore. And right. sometimes in the story, that's actually them killing that person. Uh, and sometimes it's the person is taken away from them. But either way, the point is that you have to step out on your own. Right. And this metaphor applies to in, in our own lives. It applies to our actual parents. It applies on a on a metaphysical or a, a, a societal level, as in like the point at which you stop waiting for other people to come and rescue you. Mm-hmm. And in this story, unlike any other story that I can think of. You remember the plot point of the reason he's obsessed with trying to get off the island is because well he wants to go find this girl but the the reason he can't is because his father died because they wanted him to have a tragic backstory which is like the most fucked up child abuse crazy like you're watching the show and you're just like yeah yeah it's just part of the story it's fine like i mean he didn't really die um so he's obsessed with like his his father died and this is like this formative experience. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, the actor who plays his father sneaks onto the set. Yeah. And he sees him and then they, they carry him away and he tells his mom, like I saw dad. No, it really was him. I think he's still alive. And this sort of opens, he's already starting to question things and it starts, he starts to feel this conspiracy feeling of like, everything is out to get me. And, and he he wants his father back clearly mm-hmm. but then before they before anything happens with that story he he starts opening his eyes to something bigger is happening here i'm trapped i am stuck in a cage that i cannot see it's invisible and i need to escape from this and then they bring his dad back as like a climactic moment. And 
there's this dramatic scene on the bridge when he walks out of the mist and he hugs his father and you're like, this is what he always wanted. And he has to reject it. He has to say no to his literal father. Yeah. Coming back from the dead and be <laughs> like, no, my freedom is more important than this. I will not get sucked back into, uh, in Buddhism, they call it the Maya, right? The mm-hmm. illusion, right? I will not get sucked back into the illusion. I am obsessed with escaping, with liberation. So then he escapes, he goes out on the water and he has to face God, the literal booming voice of God, the father with a capital F. Yeah. And he has to face and reject the father saying, I built this place for you. You are safe here. Don't leave. Stay here. I'll take care of you. And he symbolically has to stand there. That scene when the boat is sailing and there's the blue sky and then he hits the wall and it's (laughs) the painted blue sky. That is one of the trippiest moments because you really don't see it. You're like looking and he's sailing into the blue sky and then he hits it and it's like (laughs) a magic trick. Yeah. And he walks along the edge of this thing and he finds the door and it's just blackness, which is symbolic and representative of the unknown. It's chaos. This is order. This is the known. And I am risking going into chaos in spite of the fact that the voice of God is telling me. So what is that voice? In my mind, that voice is the judgmental, rational mind. Yeah. It's the part of the mind that says, I built this place for you. I made sense of all this. I made it safe. Stay here. You're not allowed to leave. (laughs) Because I love you. Yeah. That's what the judgmental mind thinks. Fuck that movie is so profound. And it gives you that those layers of that father, like I have to reject this aspect. Never seen another movie that does that. And there's, there's just, I, I kept thinking as I watched it this time, like what, how long would it take you? If you were in that position where you're seeing all these weird things, how long would it take you to suspect what's actually going on with him? Mm. What's what he I mean, at first he's like, there's people here, but like he just thinks it's like individual people being weird until you start to go to no, no, this entire thing is fake. All Mm -hmm. of it. It's Mm -hmm. all an illusion and it's entirely about and for you. Well, that's what waking up is. That's realizing, oh shit, I'm creating the matrix. Like my brain is creating the reality that I live in. And that is a profound and difficult reality to face for people. Yeah, My curiosity is, the inciting event that in, like begins to start to crack the thing open, the thing that generally motivates in most of our stories, um, there's adventure that's thrust upon people like the world is ending. Right. Everybody's going to be killed. So you have to. But then there's this other story of the thing that cracks people open or makes them 
pull the pull forward is love, right? Yeah. Like yeah, that would girl. not have happened without this, this like a woman is the thing he was yeah. going after that feeling of that connection. Yeah. Um, so archetypally for me, yeah, the way I see that is, so the protagonist in the story is, is always representative of the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. That's the self that you experience yourself as floating around in this thing. The love interest, it, it, one of the simplest ways to view that, and you can always interpret this in different ways, but for me, the first one that I always imagine is the love interest is the unconscious. Mm. The love interest is the part of you that is mysterious and feminine and beautiful and uh, and uh, unpredictable and unexpected and the part of you that is the source of meaning and beauty and magic. And when you catch a glimpse of that, mm-hmm. it, in a sense, that is the only thing you've ever been in love with. It's the only thing you've ever, when you see something that you're attracted to, when you see something or someone that you think is beautiful, it's not them, it's Cracking up her. Room. It's your unconscious that you're seeing. And so in the story, the archetypal story, there's the protagonist, there's the unconscious, and that that unconscious is the thing that inspires the protagonist to, to go, I will risk the unknown. And I will not stay here with the, in the safe environment. And I will even reject or kill God <laughs> to go find that thing that I am mm-hmm. so drawn to. And you could call that your bliss too. Yeah. And I think the magic, when we think about the work that we do, we really have to find a way to create that moment, help people like get to that like, that dropped into like, oh my God, there's a something. Oh fuck. And I've always been, and now I and 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 like start the magnet that pulls yep. them out of wherever I they are. I just posted on Facebook the today about this. Oh yeah. I was posting about this because you and I were talking about like my methodology of working with people and the mm-hmm. fourth step. I don't have a good name for it, but I I right now I'm calling it like awakening to magic or awakening the magic. And it's, it, it is fundamentally introducing people to that magical world inside mm-hmm. and that realization that everything you've ever seen outside that you think is amazing. It's all in here. Yeah. So fucking Truman show. I love, <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. And it, it was already one of my favorite movies, but I hadn't seen it in years and watching it again. I was floored by how profound and how great that movie is was watching that the birthday gift you gave yourself no did i watch something for my birthday i don't know no we watched that three weeks before my birthday groovy because i have two other movies that i could talk about but we're not gonna have time (laughs) so your turn (laughs) no i was just like it was your birthday recently and you're like maybe we should talk about on the show what'd you do for your birthday uh, I went paddle boarding, Ooh. Uh, which I, I shared a, a metaphor about that in my other podcast because it actually wasn't the first time, but the first time we went paddle boarding, uh, it was super dangerous and really scary and I didn't like it very much. 
because we went out on big fucking waves and I was like, I could die. (laughs) Like there's undertow and I'm not in super great shape right now. (laughs) So, um, but then we went to uh, like Huntington Beach Harbor and like it's super flat, completely still water. And we went out uh, and just paddle boarded between like multi-million dollar houses on each side in these canals. It is so gorgeous there. It was so fun. Oh my God. I loved it. Uh, the only downside was I got sunscreen everywhere except one strip on my low back that got super sunburned. <laughs> uh so that was super fun. Uh, did that. And then next day we went to the pool. Um, I had some hangout time with my girls and I got a present, which is not in here, but I got uh, a book that I've already read before, but I got the special collector's edition of my favorite comic book series called Promethea. Um, and I got the first of three volumes of that. That's like the 20th anniversary. It's, probably my favorite book of all time period um as well as comic book um and then that night i feel like we did something else but i can't remember uh i swear there was something else that we did oh uh today yeah uh i just went up and hung out with my buddy our mutual buddy morgan and we went hiking to the highest point in the Santa Monica mountains. Okay. And uh, I have a panoramic picture that I will post later that is jaw dropping. Is that like the one that everybody shows always all the time? What? Like that all the LA people in whatever movie, Grand Canyon, six feet under, there's this like like, hike. And then there's this just ginormously beautiful view. No, this is a, it was a pretty rough hike. Oh, okay. Like I was exhausted uh, by the time I got to the top and Morgan was like very patient because he's in insanely good shape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Faye and I were like huffing and puffing, getting our way up there. And uh, it, yeah. His but muscles was, have like groupies that are also muscles. And yeah. Like, oh, we're yeah. hanging out with you. His muscles have posse of muscles. That are yeah. Just- yeah. Yeah. Some of his individual muscles have like agents. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was super fun. That was exactly what I wanted to do for my birthday is I, I wanted to go hang out with some people. And because nice. uh, I'm not doing groups right now for uh, quarantine reasons, uh, but it, some individual small hangouts was was good. And getting outdoors, getting some really good exercise. Actually, I didn't even have time to uh, shower. So right now my legs are like covered in dirt. <laughs> I'm sitting here having this conversation with you yeah crazy you're like you're grounded you re-energized yeah your eons is that what they are ions, whatever ions. You did. yeah eons would be like how long your eons of ions yeah. they're on your thighs <laughs> so yeah that's oh and i also have uh eaten a lo- oh yeah that's the other thing i had deep dish pizza and cheesecake for my birthday dinner uh, <laughs> that's what i was uh craving during my fast and i was like uh, after my fast, I was very strict with my food all the way until my birthday. So mm-hmm. I basically did like 30 days, 12 days of not eating and 30 days total of really clean eating. And then I ate so much pizza. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Yeah, Chicago style deep dish pizza just keeps coming up in my feed. And I was like, you know, I just, I actually have not had that in my mouth. There are lots of things I've had in my mouth and that's Ever? not one of them. No, I've never it, had. A lot of people don't like it. And a lot of people from Chicago really don't like it. Huh. But I went there and I was like, I want to have, I wanna, what, the, what the fuck is this? So <laughs> uh, Liz grew up in Chicago and she took me to one of the like best deep dish pizza places. Yeah. And I loved it. I was like, look, I get New York style. I get fold it, eat it. Like yeah. that to me, like I don't really think of deep dish Chicago style pizza as pizza. It's more like cheese pie. And that's <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> like, I will yeah. eat a fucking casserole full of cheese and, and, yeah. and like fried, like baked crispy cheese on the edges. Of yeah. The like, yeah. If it's mostly cheese, like I, I don't necessarily like a lot of tomato sauce. I don't know if I want a doughy crust, but the crispy, crunchy, melted cheese thing, that sounds amazing. For me, it's fun. I Like, I'll eat regular pizza, too. That's fine. I got a Hawaiian-style one, too, which a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you eat pineapple on your... What a, I love it. I like it. Shut up. Yeah, I'm from the universe <laughs> where pineapple was amazing. Yeah. And then we, the particle collider did its thing, and now Sally Fields is now Sally Fields, and she said... Um, you like me right now? You like me? That's not what she fucking said. Anyway, the universe I was from, no one would give anybody shit about pineapple on a pizza because it's amazing. Yeah. This universe is weird. Yeah. Papers backwards. I did not follow that Sally Fields thing. <laughs> what? So he in the Mandela say, effect. Like, you love me. You really love me. In the Mandela effect. There's this theory that people sort of misremember things. Sure. Collectively. And that it's actually a different universe. Like the Bernstein bears. Well, yeah. The the they call it the Mandela effect. Some people think, oh, well, maybe we're from a different universe and then it collided and they're similar enough and they squish together and you're in another. But so um, but then they're like, I think there's just a thing that happens with the brain where everybody sort of collectively right. misremembers things. But like, here's the problem. She said. You like me. You really, really like me. Her name was Sally Fields with an S for a very, very long time. And that was so prolifically like, like everybody made fun of her so much that it showed up ripples of the same fucking phrase in tons of like kids shows, television, movies referenced every fucking where. And now when you go on YouTube, it says you like me right now. You like me. That's not, that's not a fucking triplet. You like me. You really, really like me. What? Huh? That's so not the so same that's thing. That's not what she said? Not in the universe I was from. Wow. And not all of the television and movie sh that re referenced what she said. Like, I, I, I remember watching it when I was little and then watching it again. So wait, so you're saying if I go back and I look up the video of her actually saying it, she doesn't say what we all think she said apparently mm, I get you I get you apparently <laughs> yeah and There's and was it life like that that I is like a box of chocolates or is it it is now life was like a box of chocolates my mama always said life was like a box of chocolates is that what it actually is wow apparently it is now Wow. Yeah. Okay. Those are some good ones. I think that one of the things that happens is they become 
like like there's a, like comedians will like pull it and they'll do it slightly wrong or they'll do it the way that everybody remembers it because that actually gets a better response and yeah. then that reinforces it. Mayhaps. Yeah. Right, like Luke, I am your father. That's not what he said. What does he say? He says, no, I am your father. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I think that's on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was an interesting <laughs> ending because we got to wrap this up. I got to go. Matrix, what is real? Yeah, are we jumping realities oh, yeah. right now? I know. No, can we, can we super tangent for just one second? Yeah. You know how for a while in like the NLP and personal development movement and Deepak Chopra and all this stuff that quantum physics was like this thing that people would reference all the time and like they didn't really understand it, but they were just, it was basically this stuff is mysterious and quantum physics is mysterious. Therefore they must be the same thing. (laughs) Um, And no, you're wrong. Um, But I've always thought that, the 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 thing that you can do is you can say if you take quantum physics as a metaphor and you're like certain aspects of your own unconscious and your own transformational journey ha- seem to have a lot of parallels with quantum physics mm-hmm. fine but that doesn't mean that you're actually whatever like i like the metaphor but you know what i've always thought hmm. how come nobody's done that with like some of the other weird physics stuff like the theory of uh, that every possible dimension exists that like the idea that if the universe is truly infinite, which we think that it is mm-hmm. that mathematically it is not uh, a probability. It is an inevitability that everything that ever could happen has happened yep. is happening and sure. will happen again, that you and I have had this conversation before And that we've had every possible variation of this conversation before, where instead of saying the word word, I said, instead of saying the thing that I said, like there, (laughs) every tiny little change that could be changed, every one of them has happened an infinite number of times. I think that there's an opportunity for somebody to create a kind of quantum linguistics-y kind of process Mm -hmm. where you're jumping realities yes that like if you just go well what if you believed that you could close your eyes and imagine yourself in a different reality and then when you open up your eyes you're in that one what kind of changes would you make how subtle or small would they be maybe you can't make super huge ones because it's too hard to jump that far but what if you could jump to a reality where you didn't believe the same things about yourself or something in your past happened. Right. Right. You and I have geeked out about actually creating this as a, as a, I don't know if we like product or experience. I've done some of this as an experience personally and with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I frequently do since Keanu's, uh, you know, presence in this, this thing, I frequently do the bill and Ted exercise about sourcing uh, your current changes to your uh, future self. You're like, cool. So once you've figured out how to do this, you'll become the person you want to be. And that's, you I can picture that. So why not just go one. fly out into the future and ask them what they need you to do so that you become them. Yeah. So it's like Bill and Ted, how did you figure it out? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm so looking forward to that. 
Yeah, me too. Speaking, good Coming job up. wrapping it up with another movie reference. Okay, well done. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I got to hit Cheers. it. All righty. Thanks for being you. Fabulous. We did it. We're back. Um, <laughs> let's do another one next week. All right. TV deeply, everyone. TV deeply, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.